Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest today is Danielle Wilkie. Danielle is currently the Central Division President for Compass, a tech-enabled real estate brokerage firm that had a big IPO earlier this year. Prior to Compass, Danielle has been a part of a number of other successful startups in Denver, such as NetQuote, Craftsy, and HomeAdvisor. And best of all, she's the rare Denver native. Danielle's biggest lesson deals with conquering a big challenge faced by nearly every startup employee and founder, burnout. Danielle, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be with you too. I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and uh, how you came to your current role with Compass. Yeah. So uh, my story is about 20 years, 20 plus years in startups in Denver. So in that time, I've never been in the same industry twice, uh, but by nature of just basically graduating from college in the late 90s, always in a business uh, that was being changed through the use of technology. So I've seen property management, home services, insurance, stock footage licensing, and even uh, online craft education and commerce. And so when Compass called, I was very interested for two reasons. One, residential real estate is a massive market uh, that I knew was definitely ripe for change. And two, I really liked the idea that Compass was building technology uh, to make the people better versus replace them. So I've always had a real love for the intersection between people and technology. So I've really had roles focused on product management, marketing, general management, but I have found the most success when I'm really close to the customer and then translating those needs into products and experiences. So that's how I got to Compass. Great. And so your background in both product and marketing, and now you're doing general management, what was that transition like? Was that always the goal? No, it wasn't always the goal. I think that, you know, anyone who says that they've like got a master plan and executed it perfectly is either not paying attention to the opportunities in front of them or, uh, you know, I don't know who those people are. But anyway, I my plan was always to stay close to businesses that were making changes in industries that were exciting and interesting, cool problems to solve. And I just let my career sort of take me where it went in terms of where those opportunities lie. I think in marketing and product management in particular, those lend themselves well to a general management function, especially in customer-driven businesses. So, you know, when you, especially like in a B2C world, when you're managing from a marketing perspective, acquisition and retention, you're essentially managing almost the P&L for the business. So I think that those things tend to take you in that direction. And I, I know Compass went public earlier this year, so con- congrats on that. What's Thanks. that transition been like, if anything, in terms of going from a, from a private startup to a public company? It was an awesome experience. And, uh, you know, I've always been part of startups that have ended up being sold uh, versus going public or being absorbed by a public company versus going public themselves. And so, you know, this was a whole different ballgame. I think that in terms of like what's next for us, I really just see it as another fa- like funding round more than anything. And I think in many ways, uh, it is a good forcing function for the business to get more operationally sound, to think about you know how we're spending money and where we're spending money in new and different ways, which I think is great. It's good, it's good for the business. It's, it's good for the industry. 
Danielle, as someone who's been in the Denver market and seen the transition, you know, over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, would love to hear your perspective on how you've seen Denver tech change and evolve, and especially in the last five years uh, and what you're excited about here. Yeah. Well, first of all, it used to be a really small community. And when you would tell people you were part of a startup, people would sort of just look at you like, what? Like, what even is that? You know, what, what does that even mean? Um, you know, my first startup in Denver was in the early 2000s, and it was around changing the way REITs and other property management companies scored their applicants. And we were using technology to do that. And I just remember it was just such a foreign concept to folks. Like, what is this? What's going on? So the community early on was very small. You know, if you knew five people, you knew the whole startup community is what it felt like. And, you know, in some ways, um, you know, one of the reasons I actually took the Compass job was I was interested in expanding that startup network outside of Denver. It, at times it can feel somewhat insular. And so, you know, seeing these new folks come into Denver, seeing new funding coming to Denver, seeing what you all are doing here in Denver is a total breath of fresh air because I think we're seeing a pretty strong infusion of talent, strong infusion of new ideas. And I think it's creating more vibrancy in an awesome way uh, for Denver overall. Danielle, I completely agree with that. You know. Every week, you know, I'm meeting with, you know, two or three new people who are, you know, have shown up last six months or maybe two years. And it's amazing the number of folks here who are amazing, but still don't know all the other yes. amazing people in the market. Uh, yeah, and I think that's just a signal to how fast things have grown um, over the past you know, few years with it. Yeah. Uh, so as we, we think about, you know, your career and all of the different experiences you've had, we'd love to jump into the meat of this right now and hear about your biggest lesson and a few examples of, of when you've learned it and how you've applied it. Yeah, this um, this was a hard question, certainly because the longer you do this, the more lessons you realize you've learned. Yeah. Um, so choosing one and how much you don't know still is even more obvious, right? So choosing one was hard, but I think that my biggest lesson by far, after I put reflected on this, is you're growing in your career and you think about all the skills you have to acquire. Uh, how do you manage people as you grow up, you know, grow up the, the chain? And then there's a moment where you realize that actually who you should be managing most importantly and foremostly is yourself. And so my biggest lesson has definitely been if you want to be successful, you're going to have to manage yourself first. So that's my biggest lesson. So, you know, one of the things we found is, is when people, you know, tell us their biggest lesson, they usually have, you know, one or two pivotal moments in their career where they either didn't do it and learn the consequences mm -hmm. or, or did it uh, and it went really well. Uh, what are some of those pivotal moments uh, that helped you learn this lesson? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, kudos to everybody who did it really well and learned the lesson. I think more often than not, it's you went the other way. You, you failed miserably and realized it's time to learn the lesson. For me, it's definitely the latter. My story is that I was always super driven in my career. I'm a voracious learner and reader. I like new and unusual problems. You know, startups were a natural fit for me because things were always a little chaotic and uncertain and gray. And so I loved the chaos of that and trying to make sense of it. And I always was looking for the role that was like next level learning, next level impact. But I mean, I wanted to win, you know, in my quest to do more, be more, you know, win more. I was really overlooking one thing, which was like, is this the right thing 
for me? Did I really enjoy the work or the outcome? And, and this for me all came to a screeching halt. Um, and I think this is true a lot for women in particular um, who are looking to not only advance their careers, but potentially also have a family. So for me, this all came to a huge halt when um, I had uh, two young children. They were both under the age of five. And I was in a fairly new role in a startup in Denver. And I was finding that I was exhausted. You know, like I wasn't producing the results I was hoping to see. I was sacrificing at all costs to try to double down to prove that I was going to get to those results, even though we were struggling to see them. There would be days that I didn't go outside. Literally, I would like park in the building, be the first one in and then be racing home to get, you know, dinner, wrestle with my kids, get them to bed, start work, do it again, get up early, go again. And it just eventually it just it was too much. I couldn't do it all. And I think the tipping point for me was having the extra variable of those children in my life and those other outside commitments where I just couldn't outwork my way out of the situation. And this came at the expense of so many things. It came at the expense of my marriage, my health, my friends, my own mental health. You know, it was a moment where I realized that, like I wasn't managing myself. And the output of this was all those personal impacts that I shared, but it was also the professional impacts, meaning I wasn't delivering the results that I was typically used to seeing. And no matter how hard I pushed it, it wasn't getting the outcome I was looking for. And so it really was basically just like a total burnout moment where I realized I got to like start paying attention to what it is that I need, how I'm going to manage myself and how I'm going to show up better at work and for the people in my life personally, so that I can get the results I'm looking for. And one that sounds like a hard thing to recognize and realize that's going on. How did you solve it? Yeah. So how did I solve it? Whether it's fair or not, I put this akin to, in some ways, being an addict, right? Like I was obsessed with work. I mean, it was all I did. And, you know, the reckoning here was when the people around me said, uh-uh, you know, like it, enough is enough. And so, you know, thank goodness I had people who cared enough about me to say, like, something's got to change. And so I worked to put a plan together around that. And it's hard to pull yourself out of that way of living without some external help. So the first thing I did was, you know, I found a great therapist who I could go to and trust and like lay it all out there and say what's going on. Um, the second thing I did was I actually found a great coach uh, who helped me sort of reimagine the way I defined work and my role within it. Um, and the third thing I did uh, was I stumbled upon a really amazing book um, and a coaching network called, uh, it's uh, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership is the name of the book. And I went to one of their sessions and I know it sounds crazy, but like it really changed my life, the way I think about managing myself. Um, and so with those external resources and sort of like new frameworks for thinking about how to approach my work, uh, it like, slowly but surely had a massive impact. And then the other one actually that was also really important is I did some research into like how people manage their schedules relative to their like biorhythms and really trying to pay close attention to when was I great? When was I on? When was I like able to be in my flow and contribute in the most you know significant way? And when was I not? And this outcome, uh, figuring that out for myself was like, there's nothing good that's coming out of me after like seven o'clock at night. It just isn't gonna happen. You know, even if you got more work to do, it's just not gonna happen. 
but boy, I can get up at 5.30 a.m. and like crank. And so, you know, just really paying attention to like when I was good, when I was delivering and adjusting my schedule around that has also made a massive difference for me. And Daniel, it sounds like, you know, you, you hear a lot of people talk about burnout. And I feel like you also hear a lot of people sort of, you know, perpetually talk about being burnt out, right? Yeah. Um, was there a specific moment that made you realize, wow, I, I really am burnt out and I have to do something about it? And what made you overcome the inertia? Because all of those things that that you've done to to change where you were at, I feel like people often procrastinate on. Uh, and, and don't go and do that. So was there a specific moment that, you know, really catalyzed you to action around this? Yeah. I mean, like I said, for me, the catalyst to action was, it was a few things that happened all at once, right? I was really, in my opinion, not delivering the results I needed to at work, right? Despite all these extra hours, I felt like I wasn't delivering on the results I needed to um, and so that just, and, and it wasn't getting anywhere around that Two is, is basically, uh, the people who love me most in my life basically had an intervention and sat me down and said, this isn't going to go like, this isn't going to change. And so I love to say that, like, it was like somehow some self-realization to your point. It's like hard to pull yourself out of this. I wish it was like, I could say I was strong enough to have like figured this out myself, but truly it was the people around me who were, who were observing what was going on and decided to basically step in and say, something's got to change. Daniel, what do you see when, when you, I mean, burnout, as Chris said, is such a common, you know, common issue in, in the startup world for sure. Do you identify this in employees you bring on and people who are working with you? Can you now see it in others? And you know, are there any things you can do to, to help them avoid maybe the, the bottom that you, you had to go through in order to pull yourself out? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question, Adam. Um, yes, I see it for sure. The goal is for us to all surround ourselves with A players who like just want to give, 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 learn, 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 grow, grow, grow. And those definitely are the folks who I think are obviously most prone to this. And so, you know, how I identify this uh, with employees is oftentimes, you know, like when I'm getting um, communications from them, when they're reaching out, uh, quality of work, I pay really close attention to like, what's that baseline of quality from that person? And like, how is that changing or shifting? And the way that I manage in that is one, I'm super honest and open about my own experience with this so that everyone understands that, you know, there is like not unrealistic expectations around um, this and that I've been through it and I'm, I'm here to help. Two is that I set expectations around when we will communicate with each other and what's acceptable, right? So if I'm going to send an email on a Sunday afternoon, I'm very clear with employees around like my expectations. I don't expect you to respond to me at Sunday at five o'clock. I do expect you to respond to me by Monday, by whatever, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., right, early, but I'm not expecting you to do it on a Sunday. So I think creating norms on the team around communication, paying close attention to work quality and output of teams, um, and then also making sure that I've got a beat on the people who are around my employees and making sure I'm keeping up with feedback from them as well, because I think that burnout... Um, can start to infiltrate, you know, other areas of the organization, and maybe even before you see it as the manager, maybe putting on a different face for you is critical. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, though, because like you said, it's it's always the people you want, the people who are really motivated and, and self-motivated, they're going to drive themselves towards this and maybe go go too hard, right? 
is there, you mentioned about scheduling, but is there something around prioritization as well? I mean, what about when employees say, I just feel like I've got too much, right? Absolutely. I, I can't really, yeah, I can't yeah. really tell. I can't shut it off on Sunday because I have this big project that I have to go do. Totally. So in my one-on-ones every week, uh, we put together a list of items that have to be done that are on this person's plate. And we talk about what's above the line and what's below the line. And we draw that line together every week. So we go through that list and we're really honest with ourselves around the quality that's expected from that work and the time commitment involved in it. And we have a good, honest debate about where are we going to draw the line for the next seven days. And that allows that person and I to be incredibly clear on what will be delivered. And if that line has to shift at any time during the week, we have had a conversation around like, it's time to update our commitment to each other. We've committed to this as the line. If we don't think that's gonna hit it, let's talk about that right away versus waiting another week. So that's one way that I apply that in a like in a one-on-one scenario. So Danielle, it sounds like you've been incredibly proactive about making this a key part of how you both manage yourselves and how you help to manage your, your team and everyone around you. Um, as you reflect back on, on what it's allowed you to do, are there things that you've been able to achieve uh, either uh, professionally or personally that you think wouldn't have been possible without making this shift? Yes. Yes. So there is a great discussion Gay Hendricks wrote a book called The Big Leap, and he talks about your zones of function. There's four zones of function. There is incompetence, competence, excellence, and genius. And the goal of all of us should be to be in our zones of excellence and genius as much as possible. And by paying more attention to uh, the self-management and understanding sort of what I need to be successful, it's actually created, it's like the opposite of what you expect. You're feeling like if I'm investing more time into this, that I won't be doing as much work and I won't be getting to the outcome that I'm looking for. What actually happened was by taking a step back, thinking this through, having a more holistic view of how I'm going to approach this, I actually have identified where I can be in my zone of what, what is my zone of genius and how do I spend more time there versus just excellence or competence. And so I would say in my current role, this current company, um, I have made moves to identify projects experiences, teams where I know is my zone of genius and just move into it versus waiting for someone to say, hey, you'd be good at this. It's like, no, I already know what I'm going to be good at and um, I'm going to move toward that. Are other, uh, Danielle, are there other leaders um, or role models you've seen that you feel like really capture this? You don't have to even name them, but just other other um, practices or other things that, that people have employed. I mean, I'm going to say something probably somewhat controversial. I don't see a lot of other people doing this well. <laughs> and I'm not even saying I do it well, honestly, at least not in the startup community, right? I think that, you know, when there is a lot on the line, cash is tight, time is tight, product market fit is tight. Like there's just so much that has to happen so fast that I think this is one of those things that goes to the wayside every single time for most folks. So I'll just be really honest. I actually think that I came to this a lot of, of like my own research and my own doing versus coming to this through uh, other folks. And so, Daniel, I think you, you laid out some really helpful frameworks and ways to think about it. We'd love to just get even more specific with you. You know, are there a few sort of tactical things and whether it is every day or every week or, or once a month that you find you, you need to do for yourself to keep you in this space and in this mindset? Yeah, absolutely. 
I love, I love asking other people this question because who doesn't want people's recipes, right? So like my recipe is, is as follows. Some things that I've learned is like physical exercise is not negotiable every day, must happen. And so, you know, depending on the year, depending on the, the weather outside, but I have to have physical exercise and I have to be outside once a day. So in my life, this looks like every day I'm up really early because I know that's when I'm my best and I'm out, you know, running, walking, exercising outside um, right away. Then I come in and I dive right into my work because I like to feel like I'm getting ahead of it, right? So I tackle the hardest thing I have to do that day. I know nobody else is online at that time. I know that I can like focus and crank out that one project that has to get done that takes my like deep thinking. And I try and have that all done by like before my kids and, and husband wake up in the morning. And then that creates space for me to not be panicked or worried about like what's waiting for me, what's in my inbox, what's going on. I can like be present with my kids, with my husband in the morning before they take off for school. So I can like be there, have breakfast, get them to school, do what needs to get done. Another tactic that I use is that I, um, I try and do any other important work, either collaborative uh, work with cross teams or again, an additional project that needs to be done that needs sort of focused time all before lunch. And then I save as many of my one-on-ones, regularly scheduled meetings for any time uh, after lunch. So between like one and five is when I do that. When I end my day uh, between five, like let's say between five and seven, I am planning my next day. So I use this awesome tool called Sunsama. And it tracks basically everything I do during the day. It, I, I go and I attach how much time I spend on everything. Um, and, then it, and then I can plan my day the next day. So it gives me a readout of how I've allocated my time so I can make sure that I'm like spending my time on the things that are most important. It has like a weekly review where I can look and see, um, you know, like was I doing my time allocation against the things that I thought were the, mo- the biggest needle movers? And was I, did I stay committed to that or not? And then I'm starting each day with exactly what my priorities are and an understanding of the time commitments that I'm making to those things. So those are some of the things that I do like on a daily basis, um, on a weekly basis, I have a, uh, like a sort of a personal board of directors. It's like other women in the communities that I, that I work in from a business perspective who I'm having at least a zoom call, a walk or a coffee with one of those people once a week. And they are my partners to help me tackle key challenges generally at work, but sometimes personally too. I see my uh, coach every other week. And I employ therapy both personally and my husband and I, who we love to speak very openly and honestly about that because we think it's like key to our relationship um, monthly. So that's the recipe that works for me as I think about self-management. Danielle, thanks for all the details. I was just sitting here trying to do the math at the start of it about what time you must get up in the morning. Um, And I I was with you on the exercise and outdoor time until I I realized uh, when your alarm must go hot in the morning, (laughs) which is is a little too early for me still. You know know your biorhythms. You know when you're good, Chris, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yours just seems to start two or three hours earlier than mine. Well, and that assumes that your kids are willing to uh, pay attention to your bio with rhythms as yes, well. Yes, so. exactly. <laughs> well, I will tell you, you know, when my kids were under the age of five, that was a lot harder, right? Like you are, you are uh, attached to their needs more than yours. But as my kids got past that like five-year-old stage, I was able to kind of reclaim some of my schedule back in a more meaningful way. Yeah. 
Well, then hopefully we can we can check in in a year. As my my youngest turns five in about two weeks, so maybe oh. next year at this time I'll, I'll be getting up at, at five in the morning and doing all those things. Chris, we'll you're there. <laughs> well, Danielle, thank you so much. Obviously, a super valuable lesson, particularly in startup world where people are are just grinding so hard, and it's it's great to hear someone uh, that you know. While you're not always perfect, none of none of us are. You certainly sounds like you're in a much better place than you were earlier in your career with with regard to this stuff. Um, where can people track what you're up to, get in touch with you if, if they have questions? LinkedIn's probably the best place to do that for me today. That's probably the best place to find me right now, for sure. And, you know, if uh, one thing that I love to share is like the books I'm reading and the podcasts I'm listening to, because I'm uh, that's what I'm doing at Chris on that 5 a.m. run. So happy to share that with folks, too, or you guys can put it in your show notes if you're interested as well. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much, Danielle. Really appreciate the time. 